0: Okay, Romans 12 will be verses in verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil; hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Micah here, my son, he uh, has worn glasses since he was a, a baby, right, Micah? Just a few months old, I think, is when you started wearing glasses. His twin brother, Mason, didn't need glasses, or at least we didn't realize he needed glasses until about middle school, I think. And Mason, I remember when you got glasses, how shocked you were when you finally could see the world through, through glasses. I remember you saying, like, Dad... It's so weird. I said, what, son? Just what I'm seeing is weird. I said, what? Like, is there something wrong? He goes, everything is like, you were trying to describe it, and you said, everything is like, um, I don't know, it's like it's focused. I said, yeah, buddy, that's, that's what glasses do. Like, it's not weird, son. You're just seeing for the first time. And you went like, as a parent, how long have I failed you that you put glasses on? You go, wow. This, and I remember that. It was like the day or two if you got your glasses. We were going for a walk in the neighborhood, and Mason said, even the trees look weird. I said, what do you mean the trees look weird, son? He goes, there's like leaves on them. I go, yeah, son. It was just like, what were you seeing before? It's like, what would the world look like? And he put these glasses on. It's like, wow, I can see things I never saw before. You know, when you begin to follow Jesus, uh, that happens spiritually to you. You begin to see the world differently than you may have seen it before, you begin to see the world differently than other people around you may see the world, and you begin to see people differently, or we ought to view people differently than the world views people. We should see one another differently because Jesus has transformed our minds and has transformed our hearts, and everything changes, our perspective changes, and Jesus transforms the way we see people and the way we treat people. We're continuing our series, Marks of a Transformed Life. This is our third week. We're going through, we, we've been in the book of Romans for some time now. We're working our way all the way through that book. But in chapters 12 and 13... There's a bit of a shift in what the writer, uh, a man named Paul, was writing. He'd been writing a lot about uh, things that are just deep doctored in theology about who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did for us and how we can have forgiveness in Jesus. We can be restored to a right relationship with God through Jesus. And then in chapter 12, he begins to talk about what that's going to look like outwardly. And for 11 chapters, we unpack what it meant to be redeemed by God through faith in Jesus in chapter 12, we begins to talk about the implications or the application of that. And so we've kind of repackaged these two chapters within our study of Romans as marks of a transformed life. We're looking at seven different things about our life that change when we begin to really follow Jesus and allow him to transform our minds, to transform our hearts In chapters 12 and 13, he lays out some very practical, observable implications of the gospel. Now again, I said this a couple weeks ago when we started this series, it's important we understand this. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of things. If you want to be right with God, here's all the things you've got to do to be right with God. What this is, is what does it look like when God makes us right with him? What does that look like outwardly? So Jesus changes our hearts. The Bible says, what he's been saying for the first 11 chapters is that Jesus provides the opportunity for us to be holy in the eyes of God. God now looks on us. He doesn't see sinners. He sees us as righteous because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. And now his righteousness is laid upon us. Now, having been made righteous, what does it look like to walk in that righteousness, to walk in that holiness, Jesus makes us right with God. We're now restored to a relationship with God. What does it look like now to live in light of that new relationship? Jesus has changed us on the inside. What does that look like on the outside? So Christ followers are to live differently than the culture around them. And the issues addressed in these chapters, 12 and 13, we're bouncing around in different verses and sort of lump them together topically. It's not an all-inclusive list. Chapters 12 and 13 is not like, let me tell you every single thing about your life that will be different if you follow Jesus. There's a ton of stuff that's not in these chapters, other things that are going to be different about our life. It's it's really a sample of what it will look like, what a transformed life begins to look like. Not an all-inclusive, comprehensive list of legalistic do's and don'ts, but rather a picture of what transformation looks like. So last week we looked at how we begin to serve with humility. When Jesus changes us, we now are gifted and called to serve others, and we do that with a a heart of humility. This week, we're going to turn our attention to the call, the second mark, to love one another. second mark of a transformed life in Jesus is loving one another. Jesus transforms the way we see other people. And Jesus transforms the way we're going to treat other people. And his love for us serves as an example and compels us to live dif- differently and more deeply. So, we're going to unpack just a few verses within chapters 12 and 13 as we're called to love one another. I want to see five characteristics of this transformed love to which he calls us. The first is found in verse 10. The first two, actually, are going to be, uh, first final verse nine, rather, verse nine. And that is that love must be genuine. Love must be genuine. Look at chapter 12, verse nine. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Different translations. Some might translate this sincere. Let love be sincere. Your version might say, let love be without hypocrisy. A couple other kind of paraphrases I found translated it. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And one very loose paraphrase just says, love them, don't fake it. Really love them. Now, how many of you are from the Midwest? You're Born, raised, Midwest. How many are from the South? Okay, some Southerners. What about like the Northeast, like New York, up that way? Anybody from up that way? Okay, cool. How about out west, like California, West Coast? Okay. So I've, in my job, I travel quite a bit to different parts of the country. And I've discovered, having been born and raised, I've lived in Kansas City all of my life, except for f- uh, five years that I was in college. I know it should have been four. It was five for me. Uh, but for those five years, I was in college, okay? And, and I discovered that there are different cultures around the country. And you've traveled. You've seen that as well, okay? The Midwest, I think, is probably my favorite culture. Because the Midwest is nice to people, but I think not, um, not forced to be nice to people. Let me explain what I mean by that. If I go up to New York, which I've gone to a few times, I found they're not as friendly as people in Kansas City. Now, they're not, they're not as rude as sometimes we label them. It's not fair to put that on all New Yorkers, but it's just not the same. On a New York subway, it's not the same as the Kansas City streetcar. It's just a different vibe up there, all right? This is not, not as friendly, not as outgoing. Uh, not, as, not as much hospitality you find here. Now, when I go to the south, it's the far opposite, isn't it? Every, it's just like people have sweet tea in their veins down there. They are nice to everybody. Now, let me tell you why I prefer the Midwest over New York or the south. Because I think in the Midwest, we like you and we mean it. Here's my fear in the south, uh, Leslie. I'm not sure if you like me or not, because you're a Southerner, right? Okay, this is the Southern, you guys represent, you know, you're a Midwestern now, as long as you've been here, but it's like, you're being really, really nice to me, but I don't know if you mean it. I think you could be really, really nice to me, because I'm in Alabama, and that's just what they do. It's just an expectation that we're going we're to say, well, bless your heart. Now, what does that mean? That can mean really bless my heart, or that can mean, well, you're just a moron. You know, I don't know, like... <laughs> What it, you're going to say, bless my heart, you're going to say it like this, and, and, and uh, it's so good, so good to see you. I'm like, is it? I don't know that it is. I think you're just saying that. I'm not too sure. I say that to say, to illustrate, we can love that way, can't we? There are some people who won't show you any love at all, all right? And there are some people who will show you insincere love. They'll say they love you. They'll say they're there for you. They'll say they're praying for you. We'll say, but it's empty, it's hollow, it's insincere. The Bible calls us to a sincere love that we love each other and we mean it. It's heartfelt and it's demonstrated in the way we treat one another. If we really mean it, If it's really genuine, it's really sincere, it's not a mask that we put on, it's not something that we fake, it's something that we really mean, and because we really mean it, we have a sincere desire to really show it. It's not emotional, it's not for show, it's active, and it's real. Listen to what um, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 3, if you want to turn there, it's near the back of the Bible, 1 John, almost to the very end, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, what is love? Love is what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his life for us because he loved us. And because of that, if we really love others, we ought to be able to lay down our lives. Look at verse 17, it follows, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What's he saying? If you say you love someone, you'll do something about it. God said he loves us, and he sent his son to die. He proved it. It was sincere. It was genuine. First John 3 says, if you can see people in need and not meet that need, then how can you say you have love in your heart? When God saw a need, his love compelled him to meet the need. If we say we love, our love will compel us to meet that need. So he says, don't just love in word, but love in deed. Put it into action. Let your love be something that you genuinely express To others, let it be sincere. Love isn't something we just talk about. Love is something we do. It's more than just a feeling. It's certainly more than just words. It is active and it is real. And while it's easy to say we love others, transformed love is sincere and genuine and demonstrated by the way we treat people. Isn't it true that we so often can just put on a mask? And we do it on Sunday mornings probably worse than any other day of the week. We live our lives the way we want, and I, I just have said before, it would, we would all be embarrassed if there were GoPros on the dashboards of our vehicles on the way to church at some point, right? But there's lots of arguing and yelling and tension and strife, and you pop out of the car in the parking lot, and everybody slaps on their Christian mask, and in we come, talking about the day that the Lord has made and, and how good it is to see everybody. That's not sincere love. Sincere love is not a mask we wear or empty words. What are examples of insincere love? Things like gossip, where I'll be really nice to you to your face, but as soon as you're not in the room, I'm going to pull up a chair and we're going to talk about you when you're gone. It's insulting people or tearing them down to their face or, or behind their back. It's, it's offering to help but not really doing it. How many times, I'm guilty of this, how many times we'll say, man, that's terrible, I'll be praying for you. Do you really pray for them? If you don't, that's an insincere love. That's fake. That's telling you're gonna do something, but by not doing it. It's saying, you know, Carrie will tease me sometimes because I'm I i will run into people that I haven't seen in a while and we'll that's good to see. We should get together. We really need to get together. And yeah, let's do that. I'll give you a call. Yeah, give me a call. And we walk off and Carrie said, You will never see that person again, will you? I said, one time I was like, yeah, we should play golf. <laughs> and we walked off. Carrie said, You don't play golf? I said, I know, but he plays golf. I don't know. I just said we should play golf. I not know what to do. I panicked. You know? I just was like being friendly to the guy. We should play golf sometime. That would be a disaster if that really happened. It was was insincere to say, let's do this. And we do that with people. We say, if you need anything, I'm there for you. If I can do anything at all, let me know. Do we mean it? Do we mean it? Do we pretend to care about people with no intention of doing anything about it? Do we pretend to care about issues? But we're unwilling to take action. That's, I think, one of the biggest problems in our culture today in America is the fake outrage and the fake concern that we demonstrate on social media with an unwillingness to take any action. And I've talked about this a lot. We we can hashtag any kind of cause out there, post about anything, but what are we doing in our own communities? Someone said to me one time, Matt, if you ran for president, what would be your slogan? It would probably be love your neighbor. It would just be, if we just loved our neighbor, the world's a better place. We can complain about things all day long and rant about things all day long, but what will we do in our own community to show genuine love? What will we do in our own church, among our own church family, to show genuine and sincere love to one another? Do you really love people? What's the proof? God said he loved us. The proof was Jesus dying on the cross. If we say we love people, what are we willing to do? Is it a mask we wear? Is it empty words? Or is it something we mean from the heart? Second, love treats others as family. Love treats others as family. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Or love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Be devoted to one another. Some translate this. That word devoted is a word that was uh, customarily used to refer to uh, devotion within a family. Family ties. So he's saying here is that we are members of the family of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you became a child of God. And when you became a child of God, you suddenly had a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that you didn't have before. And we are a family. And we need to begin to think of the church. Uh, I have a f- friend who, who says all the time, the church is not like a family. The church is a family. We use, we use it like a metaphor too often. We lose the power. that we know. it's not just the metaphor of the family. We are a family because we are brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Jesus, children of our Heavenly Father. And we begin to treat each other like family. How is that different? Well, a few things. First of all, you don't, um, you don't get to choose your family, right? We typically want to choose our friends based on common interests, uh, based on the fact that we get along with them, based on the fact that um, they may, we benefit from some, in some way from that relationship. You're born into a family, and that's your family. And we come into the family of God. This is our family. I would say this, you don't choose your family members, in a spiritual sense, you don't choose your family members because you love them, you choose to love them because they are your family, right? You don't, your own biological family. You don't you didn't get to choose them. You choose to love them, though, just because they're family. And so it is in the church. We don't get to choose who we're going to love, we just have to choose to love one another as family. You know, in your family, you can, you can love your family when you have a little in common. You have, you have family members you share nothing in common with, but you love them. You love I, I My family, um, my dad's side grew up in a small town. Everybody hunts and fishes, and we get together. And I grew up in the city. We get, it was always about like that 10-point buck I shot or whatever, and I'm like, I do not know what you're even talking about. Like, they would talk about things that didn't matter to me, but they were my family. I love them. It wasn't like I get to just love you if you are into the same things I'm into. And so it is with the body of Christ. We love each other, even though we we have vastly different interests. I still owe Jason Thompson a trip to Comic-Con because he became a Chiefs fan this year. It's kind of a bargain we made. i got to hold up my end of it, Jason. I plan to. Uh, But uh, uh, we could not share the same interests but be united in Jesus. And we're family. We're brothers, even though outside of our unity in Jesus, we may not be hanging out at the same thing, show the same interest. You can love your family no matter how odd they are. Any of you have like really odd family members? Yeah, okay. I would say this. If you don't think, if you don't think your family has an odd person in it, it's probably you. I'm just going <laughs> to level with you. Okay, if you don't see it, you're probably the one that they would be thinking of if they were hearing this sermon right now. We have odd family members. But they're family. Anybody have annoying family members? (laughs) Wow, a lot of hands went up. Wow. My family's like, don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Um, We can love them like family. We can love our family even though we have nothing in common, even though they may be a little odd, even though they may be a little annoying. Have you ever had a family member wrong you in some way? And yet you just keep loving them. And so it is in the body of Christ. We can love one another, even though we may not have a lot in common, even though we may find another person odd or annoying, someone may even wrong us, we can love one another. That's what God has called us to be. It was... um... 24 years ago, I posted on this Facebook last night, 24 years ago this week that we moved to Kansas City, we were married six months, we had lived right down the road from Carrie's parents, we still went over there and did laundry a couple times a week, and got a few few, few meals out of the deal every week, and we packed up, every one time in my life, we've moved a lot in Kansas City, but never, only time in my life I put every single thing I owned on one truck and clamped a padlock on it, anybody ever done that before? Every single one of you, you've done it a lot, Randy, probably some of you, we only had to every other time it was like, hey, how many of you guys in the church have a pickup? That's been every one of our other moves since then, but uh, we put everything in, and we, we, we had our first we were in over here where the nursery is now is where the worship center was and we had the worship service and uh, we went back to our little apartment Hunter's Glen apartments over off of 72nd and I-29 and we said goodbye to Carrie's parents and she started crying and she laid in bed and cried all day long until it was time to come back to church that night and I said we're moving back <laughs> this, this was a very very bad idea and 24 years later here we are why because you loved us like family and you loved us, a newlywed couple, six months married. You, you invested in our young marriage. When we had kids, you helped us raise our kids. And uh, now our daughters-in-law and one day our grandkids, Lord willing. And um, <laughs> you've been family. You've been family. And that's what a family is. A family is like, it, it, we say, no matter what our differences are, we may have not liked ideas each other had or whatever, but we were family. When you have family When you're a member of the family of God, we're brothers and sisters. We choose to love because Jesus chose to love us and brought us into this family. So what do we do? Brothers and sisters, we help each other when someone's in need. When, when your family members ha, ha, have help, need help with a home improvement project, with a move, with uh, someone's in the hospital, somebody gets sick, someone needs money in a time of need, somebody needs a place to stay, somebody needs help with a car repair, my dad could call me up and I'll go help him. I can call him if he can help me. I can call Mason and Mike at any time and, and they'll come over and help me because we're family that's what family does. That's what we do in the body of Christ. We treat each other as family. We treat each other as family. Third Love puts others first. Look at verse 10 again. Back at verse 10, chapter 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Give preference to one another. Honor one another even above yourself. This means we look for ways to defer to other people out of love. I was thinking about this verse this week. Pulled up to a four-way stop, and I was thinking, how often at a four-way stop you have, an, an, you ever pull up to a, a stop sign and another guy's pulling up to the stop sign at about the right same time, right? What do you do in that moment? Our human nature is to try to come to a complete stop as fast as we can to earn the right to go before the other guy, right? Like, here he comes, here he comes. Like, you slam on the brakes. Like, I stopped first. And then you take off again, you know? And if he tries to do it, you get mad. And maybe you honk at him. Maybe you yell at him. You know, you know how different it is to pull up to a stop sign and go like... No, no, you, you go on ahead. You ever do that? Just wave them on. Why? You know how better you feel when you do that? Like, you're not, your blood pressure's not all up, you're not all upset, you didn't make a fool of yourself in front of your neighbor. I do that sometimes, I go, oh boy, I hope that won a church member, you know, glad oh, I don't have a Jesus fish on my car. Well, now we're all worried about the way we just acted at the four-way stop. But when you pull up and you say, no, you listen, what are you going to gain? Four seconds of your day by just saying, go right on ahead. Go right on ahead. And Now, this isn't a Bible verse on how to approach four-way stops, okay? This is an analogy of how we ought to live our life. What if this week, when you come to a situation where it's either going to be you or that person, you said, you know what, you you get your way this time. I was thinking of the time we if you guys all, a bunch of teenagers ran to jump in Andy's car today to go somewhere, someone's going to yell what? Shotgun! Why? Because you want to get that front seat. It's that coveted seat. We don't normally go like, Hey, no, man, you get in the front, I'll get in the back. No one's racing to the car to jump in the middle of the back seat anywhere, right? But that's what outdoing one another and showing honor does. Again, metaphorically, this isn't like, okay, now I can't, y'all shotgun anymore, I'm sinning, and Matt's going to, no, it's, a, it's, an, it's an illustration of what if we lived our life saying, what if I took the back seat? What if I let the other person go first? What if we lived our life this week outdoing one another And showing honor. Always looking for ways to put the other person first. Listen to what the scripture says in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What if we just said, you know, I don't have to get my way here. I don't have to be first here. I can let the other person win, and it's going to be okay. That's what the Scripture calls us to here. Apart from Jesus, our nature is to seek our own way, our own will in every situation. But Jesus calls us to something different, something transformed. To outdo one another in showing honor instead of trying to outdo one another. He adds something to the end of that, doesn't he? We naturally want to just outdo one another. He says if you want to outdo each other in something, how about you try to outdo each other in showing love and honor and respect toward one another. What if you try harder to be better at honoring people than the other person? And this call, it goes to, this is a call to go to every extreme to love selflessly, to look for opportunities to put other people first. How many issues in our church, how many issues in your family go away if we just applied this one verse? How many fights with your spouse, how many situations with your spouse would be different if you said, I'm going I'm just just, to try to outdo him and letting him get his way before he lets me get my way? And that's not the way we normally think. But how many issues go away? How about in, with, with um, your siblings that you fight over something? You say, what if I just let my sibling have the bathroom first or have this thing first? How many times are we just, we're fighting to get our own way? What does this look like? It means we go out of our way to sacrifice time to serve someone. We're selfish about our time. We're selfish about our possessions. We're selfish about it so much. What if we said, I'm going to just look for ways this week to give it away, to outdo others in serving, to outdo others in sacrificing. It means I'm not going to insist on my own way. I'm going to let another person have uh, his way or her way. It might mean I'm going to be the first to forgive instead of waiting on the other person to forgive. I'm going to be the first to apologize instead of waiting for the other person to apologize. I'm going to be the first to serve instead of waiting for the other person to serve before I serve. Outdo one another. Love puts others first. Fourth, love celebrates and mourns with others. Love both celebrates and mourns with other people. Look at verse 15. Romans chapter 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep. Now look at that, it's two parts to this. The first is to rejoice with other people when they have a reason to rejoice, when something's going well. The second part is to mourn or to weep with other people when something tragic happens in their life, when they're going through a time of hurt. It means we're sensitive to one another, whether it's good or bad. Whatever you're feeling, I want to feel. Whatever I'm feeling, you want to feel. If I'm happy, you're happy for me. If I'm sad, you're sad with me. That's what we're called to do here. Now, let me ask you an honest question. This is something that occurred to me when I was studying this this week. Two things he's told us to do, right? Rejoice when other people are winning, okay? And hurt when other people are hurting. Let's be real honest. Which one of those is easier for you? I'm gonna I'm gonna say for many, for me, okay. I'll start with this of truth. It's easier for me to mourn when other people are sad than to be happy when other people are happy. That reveals something about my nature, if Jesus doesn't keep transforming it, right? We're 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 jealous people. Why do we not? You ever have someone get something and you man, you well you ought to be excited for them instead you're a little envious? Okay, you're a little jealous. Because things are going really well for that person and they're not going well for you. And instead of being excited that things are going so well for the other person, we have a little bitterness in our hearts, a little jealousy in our hearts. Well, we ought to be celebrating that you are winning at whatever it is. that You, that you got the job promotion. You got the raise. Uh, you, you, the, the, this person that has um, is, is found someone they're going to spend their life with. This person, whatever it might be, something's going really well for this person. And instead of going, man, that is, I'm so excited for you. Things are going so well for you. And I'm, you're my brother. You're my sister. And I'm excited to see things going so well. And I just celebrate with you. I thank God with you. I praise God with you for how well things are going. That's not oftentimes our natural response. I think it reveals a need, to, a, a, a need for us to constantly ask God to give us compassionate hearts toward other people. We often think of compassion as being, Lord, help me to be sad when other people are sad. I would argue that that comes a little easier. Somebody loses a job, you feel bad for them. Somebody um, has a death of a loved one. You feel bad for them. Something that's going, uh, they're going through a divorce and you feel bad for them. That comes a little easier than celebrating the wins. But we need a heart that says, I love you to the extent that when you're heartbroken, I'm heartbroken. When you're full of joy, I'm full of joy. I want to celebrate with you when it's time to celebrate. And I'm going to cry with you when it's time to cry. True love rejoices when others rejoice and hurts when others are hurting. What are some ways we live this out? When someone is hurting, we make an effort to consider how we would feel in that situation. That's what we put yourself in those shoes. Just You say, man, if I went through that, here's what I think I would do. Now, I don't know exactly because I'm not going through it, but if I put myself in their shoes and I think if I'm going through that right now, here's what I would need, and then you meet that need. If I was going through this right now, here's what I would hope my friends would do for me. And then you do that thing. You put this love into action. I want to come alongside you and mourn with you and weep with you and serve you and I can. And if something's going great, well, I'm going to celebrate with you. And if I can't celebrate with you, then I'm going to repent of the jealousy in my heart that's keeping me from celebrating with you right now. I'm going to say, if I can't celebrate with you, if I can't be happy for a win in your life, I want to look in my heart and say, God, what is going on in my heart right now that I can't Filled with joy for my brother, my sister, who's you just had a a victory in their life. True love, genuine love, transformed love, celebrates and weeps when others have victory or 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 sadness. And finally, love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. Verse 13, chapter chapter 13, rather. Chapter 13, jump down here. We're gonna be jumping around in these two chapters over the next few weeks. Kind of hitting these different themes as they reappear. 13 verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling The law. Now, this took me back a little bit. He's not saying exactly the same thing he said in the early parts of the book, but it took me back there to when he's talking about how the law came along and just put kind of rules to what in our hearts we knew. You you know right or wrong whether someone gave you a list of rules. You kind of know I'm probably not following the rules. And as soon as you see the rules, you go, yep, sure enough, I wasn't following those rules. We know in our heart when we're doing wrong. The law just kind of reveals it. The law says, here's the things that you were doing wrong uh, out of the, the, the evil of your heart. And you go, yep, those are the things I was, I was doing wrong. He comes along here and he says something similar in that um, love fulfills the law. In other words, love will meet the requirement of the law. Everything that God would want you to do. We could list every command about how to treat people, Old Testament, New Testament. We made this long list of every single thing the Bible ever said about how to treat other people. It'd be a really, really long list, wouldn't it? And then he comes along and says, you know what, if you want to sum all that up in one thing, it's this, love your neighbor as yourself. You do that, and you'll end up fulfilling every single thing on that list. And he gives us an example. He gives an example here. He says um, in verse uh, 9, look at it. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And then he adds this catch-all. And any other commandment, there's anything else you can think of, can be summed up in loving one another. What does he mean there? Well, if I love people, I won't murder them. Right? I would think. If I love you, I won't steal from you. If I love you, I won't covet. If I love you, I won't commit adultery. All of these things, the heart of them, they, you can't say you love your spouse and commit adultery. You, or this other person, this other family that's impacted by it, your family that's impacted by it, that, that's not loving. You murder someone, you can't say you love that person or their family or their friends, everyone else is going to be impacted by that tragedy. If I love you, I can't go take something that's yours, rob you of something that's yours. If if I loved you, I wouldn't need all these other commandments. Love sums it all up. Listen, look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, conversation that Jesus had, very similar to this. Matthew 22, verse 34. But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So two different religious factions in Jesus' day. And they, um, they got together and they said, let's see if we can come up with a question to test him, to trap him. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question and tested him. Verse 36, here's this question. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Okay, Jesus, if you're this great spiritual religious leader, teacher, tell us, give us the top commandment of all of them. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And this is the second part. Verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These two things, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you will inevitably get everything else right. You don't have to think about like keeping hundreds of rules or thousands of rules. You keep these two things, and everything else falls into place. Love fulfills the requirements of the law. If we love others as we love ourselves, we end up doing what, God's, what God desires. It's just inevitable. You don't have to run down a checklist of all the laws. You just say, love your neighbor, and you're going to just accidentally keep all the laws or inevitably keep all of the laws by virtue of that. It's like with your kids. You said, um, now listen, guys, I want you to, to love each other. Okay. Well, well, he um, he hit me. Okay, we're gonna make a rule: don't hit. And then, well, now he kicked me. Okay, we'll make another rule: don't kick. He stole my my toy. Okay, we're make another rule: don't steal his toy. He won't let me watch what I want to watch. And okay, you're gonna make another rule: let him watch what he wants to watch. It's my turn to play the video game, and he won't let me. Okay, now let him take turns playing the video game. See what we do here? We add rule after rule after rule after rule. If we say, look, just love each other, just outdo each other in showing honor. Just go out of your way to love one another and then all the rules get fixed. All the rules fall into place is what he's saying here. Our focus should not be on having to learn and keep and remember and stress about a big long list of rules. He said you just love your neighbor as you would love yourself. You treat people in your life the way you want to be treated and everything else falls into place. So much of God's law for our lives can be summed up in simply that, love one another. If we focus on showing love, we inevitably end up obeying what God has commanded. So rather this week, rather than thinking about all the different rules, think about how do I outdo one another in showing love? How do I uh, love from the heart? How do I see what you're going through and feel genuine compassion? We focus on that, and everything else falls into place. Four questions I want to put before you, just application of this as we near the end four questions. Just consider today as you consider these principles. Number one is this, what sacrifice can I make this week to serve someone? What sacrifice can I make to serve someone this week? This week, all right, this is gonna, I'm going to go out and just try harder to love. No, you're going to have an opportunity to love this week. What's the specific action that you can take to show, to prove, to live out the genuineness of your love? If you say you care about something, If you say you care about someone, what are you going to do this week to make it genuine? To make it genuine. Second, how can I put someone first this week? How can I outdo other people in showing honor? Is there an area right now where you need to sacrifice getting your own way? Is there an area in your life this week you've got to let someone else get the win? Is there a person this week you're going to have to be the first to forgive? Is there something this week that you are gonna, ha- you know there's a need that you need to meet and you're going to have to give up something? And you say, my goodness, to help this person, I'm going to have to not do this thing that I was planning to do. Are you willing to put aside what you were planning to do to meet the need of another person? Love goes out of its way to put other people first. Third, how can I help someone celebrate or mourn this week? Who do I need to just encourage and say, man, I'm excited for you, I'm celebrating with you, I'm proud of you, I am happy for you, or is there someone hurting? And you say, man, if I was in that situation, this is what I would need. This is the kind of friend I would need, and this is the kind of friend I'm going to be in this situation. And fourth, how has my lack of love manifested itself as sin? Jesus said that the law is fulfilled through our love. That means that if I'm not loving, what's going if I if I love, inevitably I'm going to keep the law. That, conversely, if I fail to love, I'm inevitably breaking the law. What sin is there in my life because of my lack of love? How have I treated people wrongly because I failed to love as God has called me to love? Where have I my failure to love broken the law? Where has my failure to love broken the law of God? What have I done lately and, and where do I need uh, repentance? Where do I need to seek forgiveness? God, my heart has not been wrong, has not been right. I've been doing these things because my heart has not been loving genuinely. Ask God to forgive you and to give you the capacity to love in a way that fulfills all of his expectations for you. As we wind it down, I want to just remind us again. And started on this note, I went in on this note. We need to always remember that this is made possible because of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did for us. We started. He starts chapter 12, verse 1. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. It's only by God's mercy. We love because he first loved us. The only way we're able to love, the only way we know what love is, is because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus is our model. Jesus is our motivation. Jesus is everything. The three, we read the first couple of, we read verses three and four, where he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only for his, to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What's he saying there? Put other people first. Why? Look at verse five. He points us to Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Put others first. Why? Because Jesus did. Jesus left everything that was rightfully his and gave it all up, to serve those in the need, and serve our need of salvation and forgiveness. And he said, Jesus becomes our model. Jesus becomes our motivation. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, what I'm saying is the man I follow gave everything to meet my need. And that becomes my motivation. That becomes my inspiration. That becomes my example and how I'm to love this week. Love this week like Jesus, sincerely, selflessly, putting other people first celebrating when they celebrate, mourning when they mourn. We live out his expectations as we love the way he loved.